going to uh, continue our way through the book of Joshua tonight, and we're up to chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, the reading will be on the screen. So just, um, just a bit of a reminder of the book of Joshua. So in the first uh, four chapters, it was all about entering into the land. So God had brought them right to the edge, and uh, it was all about getting in. Uh, and God did that by opening the Jordan River, so they crossed the Jordan, and then last week we saw how they um, stopped at that point to celebrate the Passover because that was to acknowledge that God was the one who had saved them and brought them in. Uh, they renewed the covenant through uh, circumcision. And so all of that was saying that the days of wandering in the desert caused by disobedience, all of that is now over. Okay, here's a new start. Uh, this is um, God's people uh, in his place. And uh, so what's right before them is the promised land to take possession of. And so from this verse through to chapter 12, it's all about the taking of the land, receiving the inheritance uh, that God had promised Abraham uh, many hundreds of years earlier. So let's read uh, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, um, down to chapter 6, verse 5. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, this, this wonderful passage that gives us uh, hope in your promises, uh, knowing that you are the one who brings them to pass. Lord, we pray that you would renew uh, our faith in you, that you would strengthen our faith, uh, that we would be uh, those who are unreservedly uh, for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Joshua, it's all about God's promise. Every promise fulfilled is the, the way I've summed up the book. And so it's written to teach God's people that we can rely on everything God says, everything he promises, we can rely on. Uh, it teaches us that life actually moves forward by God's promises, by trusting God's promises. And as we sang, you know, living by faith uh, in the promises of God. And uh, that's certainly the book of Joshua. It's written with all of that 
front and center. So right at the start, you have God come to Joshua and say to him, I will give you every place where you set foot. Uh, he even says at the start of the book, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So that's God's promise to Joshua. With him at all times, will give him every place he sets his foot. Now, how will God carry that out in practice, though? How will that be achieved? You know, in the, in the actual running of uh, this, what God has put before them? And the answer is, he sends the commander of the army of the Lord. This is how God will keep that promise. He sends the commander. The commander has now come. And that's who Joshua needed, but as we'll see, that's who we need as well. We need the commander of the Lord's army. So what we'll do, we'll, we'll look at the commander's identity. Uh, we'll think about our allegiance to him. And finally, we'll um, look at the assurance that he gives us. So first, let's think of his, his identity. Who is this commander of the Lord's army? Uh, Joshua, he actually meets the commander as he's out what looks like, it seems like he's surveying um, the situation. It says that he's out on his own and uh, the, the very first obstacle that they have to face in order to obtain the promised land is this city of Jericho and it's a walled city and the Israelites have never been through siege warfare before. They don't, uh, they don't have that experience in, in capturing a fortified city. So Joshua is out alone and it's, it's, maybe he's looking for a way in. How are we going to do this? And as he's walking along, he looks up and there is this man, an armed man, who has his sword drawn. And, and Joshua goes up to him and asks the sort of question you'd want to ask someone who has a sword drawn and is looking at you. And that is, are you for us or for our enemies? And the answer is, neither but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Okay, so who is the commander? We're told four things about him. Let's have a look at um, verse 1. Uh, so there's four things here. First, the first thing we're told is that he actually stands above all battles. He's sovereign over all battles. Because Joshua says to him, which side are you on? And he says... Neither. It's not about sides in the way that you're thinking. He doesn't fit those categories. This man is commander of the army of the Lord. That means he's sovereign over all battles. That he's commander over all. Second thing we're told is that Joshua worships him. See, uh, he, as soon as he hears the, the commander of the army of the Lord, Joshua falls flat on his face. Uh, it says in reverence. Um, and uh, the word for reverence, that's actually the word for worship. Joshua worships him, and he isn't rebuked. Uh, it's right to worship this commander. Uh, the third thing we're told is that the commander is holy, because um, notice Joshua asks uh, what, what message he has, and the commander says there in verse 15, Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Uh, holy. Now, what does that remind you of? It's almost word for word what God said to Moses at the burning bush. This is Joshua's burning bush experience. 
Um, but he's looking at a man armed with a sword. Uh, this, this is the Lord. This Joshua is in the presence of the Lord. That's why the ground is holy, because when God stands somewhere, he is holy, everything around is holy. And chapter 6, verse 2, it confirms that this really is the Lord, because uh, it says there in verse 2, Then the Lord said to Joshua, and um, what does he say to Joshua? He gives the battle plan. He lays out how Jericho is going to be taken. And, um, you know, battle plans, uh, of course, it's coming from the commander of the Lord's army. And yet it says, the Lord said. And so all of this suggests that this is a visible manifestation of God. Joshua is in the presence of the Lord himself. And, uh, but it's the com he calls himself the commander of the Lord's army. And if you look through the Bible, there are a couple of other places where uh, the commander of the Lord's army turns up or is referred to. So in Isaiah 13 verse 4, he's, he's described as someone who leads his forces in judgment on the nations. So he's the one who brings judgment. Uh, he's also described as one who protects those who belong to him. Um, he's equated with the angel of the Lord in a few places. And remember the psalm we read at the start, Psalm 34. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those uh, and, and protects those who fear him. And there's a really good illustration of that in 2 Kings. Uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6, there was this occasion where Elisha, uh, it was, it's quite a funny situation because Elisha, receives messages from the Lord about what the king of Aram was, was planning against Israel. And um, so every time the king of Aram has this plan to attack Israel, God reveals that to Elisha. He tells the king of Israel and the king of Israel is able to escape. And the king of Aram just gets absolutely uh, furious with Elisha. He sends a huge army to this town uh, where Elisha is staying. And Elisha's servant goes out in the morning and he sees this enormous army surrounding the town and he says to Elisha ah what are we going to do and Elisha um, says don't worry <laughs> those who are with us are more than those who are with them and it says that Eli Elisha prayed he prayed open his eyes Lord so that he may see then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha See, the Lord's army has turned up. And who leads that army? The commander of the Lord's army. This is who has appeared to Joshua, the commander. Now, when we get to the New Testament, we, we receive even more information about who this commander is, uh, especially in the book of Revelation. Because we see uh, here that the commander of the Lord's army is none other than the eternal Son of God who came in flesh in the person of Jesus. And so in Revelation 17, there's this reference to all the kings of the earth. They're all directing their energy against, against who? Against Jesus. Uh, against the Lamb, it says in verse, um, like, yeah, verse 14. Uh, it says uh, that the kings of the earth make war against <clears throat> the Lamb but the Lamb will overcome them. Why? Because He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Uh, in Revelation 19, there's this vision of a rider on a white horse leading an army, the army of heaven against all His enemies. And so we see 
in Revelation that this commander of the Lord's army, it is Jesus, the mighty warrior, the one who, do, who will come to bring judgment on the nations, but he is also the one who has come to deliver those uh, whom he has redeemed. And so this, as he says to Joshua, as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. This is who you need, the Lord himself. So that's his identity. Now we know who we're dealing with here. So the next thing we can ask then is what does it mean to follow this commander? He's come to lead the army. What does it mean to fall in line with him, to follow him? So let's think about our allegiance to him. And for that, we need to look again at this exchange between Joshua and the commander. So have a look uh, at verse, uh, what was it, verse 13. Um, yeah, so notice, here's, look at the question Joshua asks. Are you for us or for our enemies? And uh, the Lord replies, neither, which um, is a very strange answer because in one sense he is on Joshua's side. You know, he's for Israel. <laughs> he hasn't come to um, slaughter them. <laughs> uh, he is for Israel, but the answer really is neither because Joshua is actually asking the wrong question. And you know, in some ways it's not his fault. He doesn't realise who it is, but he's asking the wrong question because Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? And what does that show? That shows that Joshua is thinking of this battle. He's thinking of the taking of the land in terms of what he has to do, in terms of what Israel has to do. And so he's actually thinking about it. You know, God has told me to do this thing. Now I've got to do it in my own strength. I have to do this great thing that God has called me to do. And uh, it seems as though that the reason the commander of the Lord's army turns up at this point is because Joshua is still not thinking about this quite right. He's not thinking about it in terms of God's promise, in terms of God, you know, doing what he has promised. He's thinking about it, how am I going to do this? And so when he meets someone with a sword, he's like, you know, are you going to fall in behind me or am I going to have to go after you? And the Lord is really saying to Joshua, it's actually not about whether I'm for you. It's about whether you, Joshua, are for me. It's not a question of, am I on your side, Joshua? It's a question of, are you on my side? See, Joshua had it completely backwards. This is actually God's mission to take the land. This is what God was doing. This is his mission. Joshua is to be on board with the Lord. And so God is leading the charge. God is on the march. He hasn't come to fall in line behind Joshua. Joshua is to fall in line behind him. And do you, do you see this is such an important lesson? For all of us here tonight, this is what we need to remember. That we should never be asking the question, how, can, uh, how is God going to fit in with with what I have to do. We should never be asking the question, how is God going to fulfill my plans and my purposes? We should only ever be asking, how am I going to fit in with God's purposes? How am I going to fit in with God's plan? Uh, because remember, He is the Lord. You know, we, we are the servants. We're not the ones setting, setting the agenda. He is. 
He's the commander. We're to follow him. And this is not an easy lesson to learn. Uh, But this really gets to the heart of discipleship. This gets to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And right at the heart of it is actually the death of self. That if if we know who Jesus is and if we follow him, then the issue is who is in charge? Who's setting the agenda for your life? Is it you or is it him? You know, whose side is he on? No, no. Are you on his side? That's the way we have to see it. That's why Jesus said that whoever wants to be my disciple, he must deny themselves. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So that's what it looks like to follow the commander of the Lord's army. Uh, Jesus isn't interested in coming into your life to help you fulfill your ambitions. He's not, he hasn't come to make your life more comfortable or to make you more successful or, or things more orderly or to give you more self-esteem. He hasn't come to fulfill your plans and purposes. Uh, he doesn't put our goals at the centre. No, no, he, he has come to, it to bring us on board with him, that he is the Lord. And so what he he wants to know from every one of us here tonight is are you unreservedly for him? Are you unreservedly for him? And do you know this is so easy to forget? Think about um, if you ever face opposition in your life, uh, you know, even an altercation with another Christian, it's so easy to start thinking, you know, God is on my side, he's going to defend me, you know, he's going to make sure I get what I want to do, Uh, bring our cause to pass. It's really easy to get into that mentality. I've got this thing I want to do and God's going to come along and get it done. But the thing is, if, if we remember who we're dealing with, we're dealing with the Lord. And, and therefore, that puts the whole situation into a different perspective. If you're ever in an altercation with someone, the issue is always not winning. <laughs> The issue is always doing God's will and God's will is about, uh, well, speaking the truth in love, loving our enemies, being willing to admit you're wrong. It's about humility. And, you know, we even need to embrace this lesson as a church, following the commander of the Lord, because whose church is it? Who sets the mission for the church? Who's leading the charge? It's Jesus. And, you know, it's so easy to, um, to get distracted from the mission that Christ has given us, the mission of making disciples, you know, proclaiming the good news, loving others. That's what Jesus has called us to do. It's so easy to get distracted. You know, there's so many good things we can do. And uh, we have lots of important projects going on in our church but we need to be careful that we don't just become focused on just being comfortable. It's easy to be inward focused, uh, forgetting about the bigger mission. We need to make sure that Jesus is setting the agenda, not only for our lives as individuals, but also for our life as a church together. Uh, we're under the, the commander of the Lord's army. So we need to recognise 
who we're dealing with. I think that's the real issue here. Because this is what Joshua does. As soon as he sees the commander of the Lord's army, he falls flat on his face in worship. That's what we need to get hold of. We're dealing with God. Uh, worship is where it all begins. Uh, we should have that attitude like Joshua has. What message does my Lord have for his servant? See, that's the order we need to have. God's not our servant. We're his servant. And so we need to have that posture of worship, uh, a readiness to do whatever he calls us. That's what it looks like to follow him. That's what allegiance to the commander of the Lord's army looks like. And that, it actually shapes everything. Um, I still remember when I preached on uh, Luke 11, you know, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we, looked at, we looked at the Lord's Prayer, and, and here's, you know, Jesus taught us how to pray. He even gives us the words to say, and it's not about us. <laughs> it's about getting God's will done. Um, we're not praying about the things that we want. We're praying about the things that God wants. And, and that's exactly in line with this. You know, the commander sets the agenda and we get on board with him. Are you unreservedly for the Lord? <clears throat> that's, that's the question. It's what God wanted to know from Joshua. It's what he wants to know from every one of you here tonight. Are you unreservedly for the Lord? Are you following him? That's what it looks like. That's allegiance to <clears throat> the commander. Okay, so identity, this is Jesus, allegiance to him, unreserved, unreservedly for him. The third thing, though, we see here is assurance, uh, because that's, that's where this, this um, discussion goes with um, Joshua and the, the um, commander. Uh, assurance. So in the, in the next five verses, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, uh, it's still the same um, situation, you know, that there's a chapter division there, which makes it sort of look like we're into a new story in chapter 6. But um, it's, it's still the same conversation because Joshua has asked for a message and um, after telling Joshua to take your sandals off, you're on holy ground, then the commander gives the message and it's a battle plan. It's how Jericho is going to be brought down. Um, but just before that, notice how the writer slips in, um, in chapter 6, verse 1, uh, this little, um, it looks like a by-the-way comment, but hugely significant in light of what um, is going on. Uh, it says that now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And so that actually shows us how difficult the task was from a human perspective. See, the Israelites, you know, they've got the land before them and right in the middle is this fortified city. From a human perspective, that looks, it looks impossible to take down. And so Joshua was out surveying the situation. He's probably scratching his head, wondering what to do. And I'm sure all of us can um, relate to that. Uh, you know, that God calls us to do things and um, sometimes we look at them and we think, you know, this is impossible. How am I going to do this, this thing that God has called me to do? Uh, and that's probably how Joshua felt. But at just the point when it looked like things were too hard, that's when the commander shows up and gives Joshua the assurance that he needs. 
And so verses 1 to 5 are um, assurance. And it's especially seen in chapter 6, verse 2, where it says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. Notice how God speaks of a future event as if it's already happened. God does that a lot in the Bible. <laughs> and only God can do that. You know, none of us here can speak of a future event as if it's already happened because we're not in control. But God is. And so he can say, Jericho is already delivered, even though it stands nicely with its walls um, in place. Um, but God is going to bring it down. And that's what he tells Joshua right now. And so he lays out the battle plan in chapter 6, verses 3 to 5. And uh, it's clearly going to be a work of God because when you read the plan for how it's going to happen, it sounds nuts. <laughs> uh, so let's read it. Uh, March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a, a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Okay, so what's going on here? Everything in this plan is to teach the Israelites that God is the one who is going to do this. It won't be the Israelites bringing the walls down. God will. Uh, and so you've got there, what's right at the centre? It's the ark. Uh, we see this a lot in the book of Joshua. The ark of the Lord represents God's presence. So, and so there is, it's God who is in the midst of his army. Uh, the priests actually have a more prominent role in this battle plan than the fighting men do. You know, they're blowing trumpets, they're leading the procession. Uh, and notice there's a lot of references to the number seven. Uh, that's a number that's associated with God so much in the Bible. And so it's all set up to make it clear that God is the one who is going to do this. God will fight Jericho. God will bring Jericho down. And, you know, the walls are going to come down not with um, fists or um, siege work or anything like that, but with a shout. <laughs> and that's how they're going to come down. Now, uh, do you know, when I was in Sunday school as a, a little kid, we used to sing this um, really catchy song, um, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Uh, I'm not going to sing it now because it wouldn't work. But um, it goes, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Um, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And, uh, you know, really catchy tune. Um, gets stuck in your head sort of thing. But it's actually saying the very opposite <laughs> of what the Bible says. Uh, disappointing, I know, but the whole point of the passage here is that Joshua did not fight the Battle of Jericho. God did. <laughs> uh, there wasn't even a battle because God did it all. <clears throat> and so, uh, I don't know, you can just imagine the um, fighting men hearing this battle plan <laughs> and... And, you know, it looks ridiculous. How can shouting do anything? How can marching do anything? Um, and if, if we could speculate for a moment, can you imagine the fourth day? <laughs> We've been doing this already. Or the fifth day. 
And you just wonder, maybe some of them were thinking, is this even going to work? Like, what are we actually doing out here? Um, but they would only think that if they weren't familiar with the way God works. Because God often does things in a strange way, even a foolish way, in order to show that he is the one who saves. He is the one who brings the victory. And uh, if we think about this, that's actually a line that you can trace right through the Bible. And where does it end up? It ends up at the cross. Because, you know, the most glorious way that God shows uh, him doing something unbelievably powerful through foolishness is in the cross. That's how Paul describes it. Uh, he says, The foolishness of God is wiser than human strength. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Because in the cross, what do we see? We see God defeating the ultimate enemies. Not a Jericho. We see God defeating sin and death and Satan through the death of his son. That's how God brings the ultimate victory. And... Uh, you know, how does God bring salvation to a sin-ravaged world by sending his son to be slaughtered? That looks like foolishness, but that shows the power of God. And so when we look at a, a, an army marching around and then shouting, we're seeing how God does it because it shows that it's God. <laughs> this is who is doing it. God brings the victory. Now, how do people receive that victory? By faith. Uh, it's through their faith in the Lord. See, that's what the army were doing. You know, getting up every morning, marching, 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 shouting at the right time. All of that was about faith. They believed what the commander said and they obeyed. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, um, remember Hebrews 11? It's the chapter on faith. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. That's how you receive what God is doing, by faith. Believe his promise. And that is actually the pattern for how God works today. Okay? He promises something, calls you to action. You respond by believing his promise and obeying the instructions he gives. And so um, let's just finish by thinking about um, what we talked about before, the, the Great Commission, because that's Jesus giving the battle plan to his church. How are we going to defeat the world? By following the commander, uh, the commander of the Lord's army. He's given the battle plan, and it's the Great Commission. And it goes, all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now again, you can imagine the little band of men, these ordinary unschooled disciples, hearing this battle plan and thinking, we can't do this. <laughs> what can we do? I mean, look at the world. Look at what they do to the Saviour. They kill him. How are we going to achieve this mission? But Jesus says, he is the one who will do it. That's what he means when he says, I am with you to the very end of the age. Okay, and Jesus, he's the commander. He sends the Holy Spirit. 
who's on the ground leading the campaign. And the Holy Spirit is the one who goes and makes the dead alive. He turns hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And he uses us to do that. Okay, it might look like it's impossible. How can we reach our friends and neighbours and and, uh, how can we reach the world? We have the plan. He goes before us. What are we called to do? We're called to believe his promise and to obey him. And that's that's how Christ is winning the world. It's incredible. But that's, this is the commander of the Lord's army. And so this is, this is what life is about. It's about following Christ. It's about following the commander of making his agenda our agenda. And so what is, what is the question? Are you unreservedly for him? Are you unreservedly for Christ? 